And hey everyone, um, welcome to the inaugural Boba Chat, a new special bonus podcast uh, from us at Books and Boba, where Rira and I, and maybe some guests in the future, will get together and talk about some of the non-book things that we've been into. This is something new we're trying out for our new Patreon. Um, in case you don't know, we just launched a Patreon uh, for Books and Boba to help support our uh, podcast and our future endeavors. Um, we've been doing this podcast for about six years now. And, you know, we've had some sponsors here and there to help us with some of the costs. But uh, Rira and I got together and decided, let's see if we can use a platform like Patreon to help us uh, further grow um, the Books and Boba podcast. And when we thought about special perks that we can offer to our patrons, an idea for a bonus podcast came up where we might be able to engage more with our listeners and talk about things um, outside of the world of Asian American literature. Um, Rue and I do have a wide range of interests, and we don't really get the chance to talk about that much on the air. So you're able to listen to um, this special podcast because we are releasing our inaugural episode on the main feed as, I guess, a teaser for the type of conversations that you can um, expect if you join our Patreon at the $5 level, um, we are offering two tiers. The regular Boba tier at $3 a month, which gives you access to our new exclusive uh, members-only Discord server, uh, where we hope to move some of our main conversations over from our Goodreads, uh, which you know any reader will tell you Goodreads is not the most ideal place to hold discussion. And so we're hoping our Discord will be kind of the new bump in place to chat about books and Boba. And at $5, we have our Honey Boba tier, which is our premium tier, which gives you access to both the Books and Boba Discord, as well as access to Boba Chat, uh, which will be a monthly special bonus podcast uh, exclusively for $5 backers. So yeah, we really appreciate everyone's feedback over the years and really hope that you uh, support us in our new endeavors because there's a lot of things that we want to do. And <laughs> to be honest... Um, Running Books and Boba has required more and more of our time over the years as well. Um, to give you a little sneak peek into our behind the scenes, um, we've been recording a lot of author interviews for the next few months. And, you know, we always love talking to um, Asian, Asian American authors. But that also means that we're like reading at least, at least a book a week um, to prep for these conversations. Yeah, and some of these books are, you know, not short. <laughs> some of them are like upwards to 400 pages. And um, even when we're not uh, reading a book a week, we're also scheduling um, authors and looking at emails. And also we have uh, book news, which is, you know, this this is a lot of work and time. And, you know, like whenever someone asks me like, oh, like, what do you do? I just say I'm a podcaster because this is what I spend most of my time on. And I would love to, you know, like Marvin said, um, you know, justify the time that I am spending on this podcast, because the more time I spent spend on it, um, obviously, I'm letting other writing projects, other freelance projects go and yeah, I would like to work on my own thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, and we really do appreciate everyone who listens and gives feedback and people who have, you know, stuck with us for years. I know some of you guys have been listening to us for, for a long time. And we don't want to just say, hey, you've enjoyed our stuff. Give us money. Like, we're, we want to give something back as well, which is why we started the Patreon and why we're recording this podcast in the hopes that you enjoy us enough that you want to hear an extra hour of us just 
shooting the shit like every month. And that's what this is. This is our Books and Boba Boba chat because, you know, we've been doing Books and Boba for six years. Pretty heavy on the books part of the title, not as much on the boba. And, you know, for 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 our purposes, boba is kind of a catch all to like Asian American like culture and pop culture. And that's what these, I guess we can call bonus episodes will be about is us kind of talking about what we're what we are enjoying as Asian Americans outside of the books that we read, because we do have a life outside of books. Do we, though? <laughs> do we? <laughs> I do. At least. I don't know. Like, <laughs> No, I mean, I mean, we do. I mean, Marvin and I, like, you guys don't hear this because we edit it out, but we, you know, go on tangents. We talk about video games, talk about shows. Uh, we consume a lot of media, whether it's for work or just because we're procrastinating. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, a lot of that conversation gets cut and hopefully these feature episodes we don't have to do that we can talk and uh be geeking out over things that we yeah enjoy. all the things that um uh, we cut out for the purpose of i guess efficiency um this is where all the energy will go um so yeah um if you enjoy what we're doing if you enjoy what we're offering um please it would mean the world to us to to have your support and you know if we get enough i guess monthly revenue it will open us up to do more things with books and boba as well like things that have always been on our you know our future to-do list including things like a freelance budget for our blog so we can you know post more fun articles listicles and reviews um, from the community as well as well as helping us expand our marketing budget something that we've never really done for our podcast is actually pay for marketing it's all been organic and you know part of a podcast lifeblood is to reach new people and there are all these marketing tools and things that i'd love to play with but we just didn't have don't have the budget so um yeah and i also like in the future would like to maybe host workshops for people who you know want to get into podcasting or you know want to start book clubs of their own these are just things that we have talked about uh between marvin and (laughs) i over boba so um yeah like we have a lot of ideas for how we want to grow and this is the first step yeah so if you would like to join us as part of our inaugural class of Patreon, I guess patrons, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash books and boba and support us on any of the tiers that you feel comfortable in in supporting. But with that, um, I guess let's get started. So like I mentioned, Boba Chat will be our monthly bonus non-book related chat although i'm sure we'll still probably talk about books here as well but the idea is to have this show be a free-flowing conversation with rira myself and maybe we'll even bring on some former guests authors book people to just have you know random non-book conversations with um but this episode is just me and rira it's our first um inaugural episode um so i guess to start off rira what have you been into lately um yeah, yesterday I went to go see Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among nice. Thieves. Uh yeah, like I've been wanting to watch this movie ever since I saw the chubby dragon in <laughs> the trailer. And I was like, oh my God, this is my thing because I love fantasy and 
you know, especially when it's mixed in with comedy, like Princess Bride is like one of my favorite films of all time. And it kind of has that same level of humor. Um, but yeah, like I really enjoyed it. And um, like there were some surprising performances uh, like Reggae John Page, who plays Simon in Bridgerton. Uh, he plays a paladin who is just like a straight man who like, <laughs> has no humor who is like way too like holy and into himself super heroic and i'm like i'm i love what he's doing and everybody's just so hilarious and i thought it was like a really good cast and um i've only played dungeons and dragons like twice in my <laughs> life but uh i did recognize some of the canon stuff like neverwinter is actually a place. Um, I think Baldur's Gate is also a yeah. real place. The Underdark. So I'm sure people who do play Dungeons Dungeons and Dragons will, uh, you know, have some Easter eggs. Yeah. Uh, here and there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also watched the film last week. I really liked it a lot. Um, we actually talk about that in Good Pop this week. But I, yeah, I recognize some of the names because Baldur's Gate is now also a very popular series of computer like CRPGs that which the third one I think is coming out soon um, and I, I did play some D&D back in middle school um, so I do recognize like I think this takes place in like the Forgotten Realms expansion yeah, world yeah it's like the most yeah. popular which campaign. is kind of their like yeah it's typically I think more of a grimdark setting which is why it was really cool to see this as like because the film is it's a heist film it's like a series of <laughs> heists okay so like you need to go into this film just you know just go with the ride <laughs> because there's just so much happening and um it's just like heist after heist after heist <laughs> uh if you're going for like an overall like narrative structure i feel like um you'll kind of be overwhelmed so yeah, it really does play with like the D and D structure because like it's just like things happen and you just kind of yeah, it's like a campaign and it's a bunch of smaller quests leading up to like a giant showdown to like end the quest line, and there is a lot of adventure in in Dungeons and Dragons, which I really enjoyed. I think you know, I think I heard, and I think I just forgot about the. Last time they tried to make Dungeons and Dragons into a film series, um, it was like 2004, starring like Thor Birch and Jeremy Irons, and they totally played it straight. Like they made it into like a actual like grim, dark, dark fantasy world, and it just didn't work, right? Because yeah, yeah, it doesn't have that playfulness, <laughs> you know. Like I feel like Dungeons and Dragons is supposed to be, you know, you're you're there for a good time, and. I heard something recently that like surprised me. Um, when we were in lockdown, a lot of people got into uh, Dungeons and Dragons, like uh, watching other people play it on YouTube. I know there are some voice actors who, you know, have like weekly Dungeons and Dragons sessions, and they like use their uh, talent to voice <laughs> these, uh, voice their characters, and it's like more epic. Uh, but yeah, like a lot of young kids, they got into Dungeons and Dragons uh, during COVID. And this was like a way for them to, you know, uh, get together with their friends for hours because Dungeons and Dragons, it is a game that lasts for hours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and 
you know, it, it you can only play Among Us so many times <laughs> until you get bored. That's true. Jackbox doesn't really have the legs past like the first few first few sessions. Yeah. Um Who, like what kind of characters would uh you play? Like what oh, would I was always be the your character master. type? I was the only person in my group of friends who had the patience to read through the source books. And so I did a oh, lot God. of world building, a lot of um, adventure planning. Um, it was really a lot. To, I mean, you were a producer even back then. I was a middle schooler. So like it wasn't very like I was using a lot of the the ready made scenarios. Um, and I remember back then KB Toy Stores, which is a remember Toy Stores. Remember when Toy Stores used to exist at malls? We can go in and buy toys. You know, there's a <laughs> Toys R Us that's opening nearby. Really? And I was like, wait, <laughs> what? Like, I thought they went out of business. Like, how is it I thought possible? so, too. But there is a, like, there's a Toys R Us. I don't think it's a pop-up, but it's like a section at the Macy's on Lake in Pasadena. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's the one I'm yeah. talking about. <laughs> so, I guess Macy's bought Now Toys I have R doxed or? myself. People know where I am. <laughs> Now people know where I live. I don't really care, but yeah. Um, these are just our, I mean, passing the big, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, I remember my first my first set was in Advanced Dungeons & Dragons kind of like starter pack where it's kind of, they give you pre-made characters. There's like a CD that you can play along that like narrates the adventure. And then from there, I started buying like other sets to expand our like our campaign. But the thing is, KB Toy Stores back then, had all these sets on sale, but all for like Dungeons and Dragons. So like the first edition. So even back then I had to like do what I do now for producing, which is mainly fitting things together that don't necessarily go together and hoping they work. Like, okay, I have I have all these disparate pieces that I want to use. They don't necessarily connect to each other perfectly. But if I tweak something here and there, I can make it all work. I can create something if not beautiful, at least charming in its jankiness, right? Yeah, and Dungeons and Dragons is is kind of like improv. I would it is. say it's improv with rules. Like, um, it's improv with rules, and like for me, like I really couldn't get into it because I'm pretty bad at improv, and uh, I take a lot of time just you know coming up with things, and that's just not ideal for Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> when you need to like come up with uh, scenarios like right then and there, and just have to like go with the flow. And also, like, you have to meet very regularly with your That is group, the hardest with your ragtag part group of protagonists. When, as an adult, like, I have... So I've moved on from Dungeons & Dragons because, um, for me, what I love about tabletop RPGs is kind of the, the improv part of it. Um, I'm not as, like, I don't have time to pour through rule books. And um, something that you'll find is Dungeons & Dragons, the majority of the rules are all about combat. So a lot of adventures is about fighting things. Um, and since I've moved on from there, I had this problem where um, I've spent the pandemic also watching people play games. Um, so I have accumulated actually a ton of board games and RPG source books that I have never used practically because I don't have people who can commit to like regular gaming sessions. And my wife is not a gamer. She is not a board game person. <laughs> so, but um, I've been accumulating um, books using other systems like um, Powered by the Apocalypse, like Dungeon World, um, Blaze in the Dark, which are more 
I guess, narrative focused systems, which I really enjoy and really like. Um, and I'm itching to, to, um, I've been in the back of my head, I've been wanting to do like an actual play podcast for the longest time. Uh, but again, it requires having people who can meet regularly for us to record. And that's hard because everyone who's on my list, who was on my list to be a part of that, are having babies for some reason. Like they're all having children in the next few months. And it's that's not conducive to playing games. Yeah, not at all. Children do not care about scheduling. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I think the the last two times I've played, I think I was a sorcerer and a ranger, which makes sense because I'm all about uh characters who have like range attacks i oh like when i play video games it's always an archer it's always a mage because i'm so bad at like uh hand-eye coordination in in action video games i'm like okay what's what's an attack that i can do from far away and also just like in fantasy lore i like rangers and mages more <laughs> Um, I just find them more interesting than a barbarian or uh, a druid. So, um, yeah. And I don't really know what my character alignment is with, with like, you know, chaotic, good, like lawful, neutral. Like, I remember I took a couple of, uh, like, quizzes to find out, like, what my personality type <laughs> would be. But I don't know. I feel like I'm more in in the chaotic good area, but my partner Dan has told me that I like to follow rules quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, I see so you as more know. lawful than anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm all about like doing crimes in order to get justice. So yeah, I don't know. maybe that is more. And the thing with the D and D alignment um, system, it's it's kind of rigid, um, which is also why a reason why I like some of these other systems where it's not less about like what your alignment is and more about what your drives are and thinking about what drives a person um, to, um, is it revenge? Is it greed? Is it survival? Is it like you want something? And I think, you know, like I said, there's, there's a lot of really cool ways to homebrew a campaign. And that's kind of the beauty of being like the dungeon master or the, the game master or whoever the narrator is. You can kind of impose, not impose your will, but like, switch things up behind the scenes and like the best dungeon masters are really great at going with the flow too. Like, um, and I think that's something that really comes out in, in the film Dungeons and Dragons, uh, Honor Among Thieves is you can tell if this was a tabletop game, this is a dungeon master who has to deal with a lot, right? Because obviously Chris Pine's character is the wild card player who just loves to try crazy shit and somehow always rolls a 20 because it always works out. I would say Chris Pine is like, a dungeon master because he's the one who comes up with all the plans and like the reasons why they're going on these quests. Mm. But he's like, you know, he's like the hero character who, you know, doesn't really know what he's doing yeah. at the same time. Well, I mean, so when, it's, it's yeah, interesting. I mean, when you're playing the game, there's always that one guy who says, well, why don't we just fly using the bird man? Right. <laughs> like, and then you say, okay, yeah, roll yeah. for it. And then you roll 20. And it's like, I guess you escape with the bird man. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, like there, there's like a funny line in the movie where they're just like, they're just like, just magic it away or just uh, figure it out with magic. And uh, Justice Smith's character, who is uh, this like very uh, low self-esteemed um, sorcerer, he's just like, you can't magic everything, <laughs> every problem. And I was like, that 
that's just Dungeons and Dragons where people are just trying to fix things, trying to get their way uh, with like the easiest way possible. But obviously you have to roll a 20 in order yeah. to, to get that. <laughs> but that was my topic. What about you, Marvin? What have you been enjoying lately? You know, I have, it's been tough. This, these past few weeks, I'm actually on like a bunch of deadlines. Uh, right now, I'm working on a few podcast projects for clients. Um, and somehow everything's coming due this week, which, you know, is just something that happens when you when you work in the creative field. It's like as sometimes there's a perfect storm and everything just has to happen this week. Um, but I have been sneaking in some TV here and there. So I've been watching a lot of Top Chef um and like catching up on i just i've been a fan since i want to say season four which came out like i want to say 2008 2009 like a long time ago um it's actually one of the few reality tv shows that i follow week to week what what about it do you like like about it's it? just um it's one of the few american reality competitions that is just pure like competency porn, I think is what they call it. It's just people at the top of their game uh, doing what they do best. And that to me is like just great programming, right? Because a lot of, I feel like a lot of American reality competition, it's more for the drama, right? They they try to mine for drama. They try to mine for like showcase, like humiliation, right? Like such as like Hell's Kitchen, right? Like the Gordon Ramsay show, which is the draw isn't watching people cook good. The draw is watching Gordon Ramsay yell at people, right? And that just was never... Yeah something that I was into. So, um, and I think Top Chef knows what they're doing because their challenges have been less and less gimmicky. Although they do do the occasional gimmick. I think one of the challenges this season has been like a Ritz cracker challenge, which, you know, these competition, these reality shows also live and die on their product placements. Um, but I love shows that have that kind of vibe. That's I think that's also why I really like Great British Bake Off. Although the last few seasons have been more gimmicky and less less pleasant have you watched the professionals i try uh, it's so boring though i think i don't know it's i think it's very interesting because uh their their uh cakes and their treats are always like so intricate and i'm like how are they <laughs> making that how is that standing it's very interesting to me as someone who you yeah know, likes to see how things i think work. for me for like Bake British Bake Off Professionals Edition. It's missing something. I think there's there's a mismatch between like the pleasant vibes of the Bake Off show and like the cutthroatness of the actual like contestants. Like if you're gonna have like professional bakers and people who run professional kitchens in a competition with each other, I don't think the vibes of like a Bake Off work because the Bake Off vibes are all about like amateurs kind of doing their best, right? And yeah, and I don't yeah. know. There's just, just some mismatch there for me that I kind of bounced off. Like I also bounced off a lot of like Netflix has been putting a lot of cooking shows, right? Like this one's about chocolate. This one's about snacks. And for some reason, like I just can't get into them as much. And I don't know what the problem is on paper. I should be totally into them, but I just it's hard for me to. I There's just a, some magic, magic secret sauce that like Top Chef and regular Bake Off has. And I'm really excited for this next season of Bake Off because they, they've replaced the one host that has been kind of weird. No, um, Matt Lucas. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. That has been kind of, you know, 
whenever he's on screen during one of the like let's say quote unquote ethnic challenges i'm just bracing myself for like he's gonna do something racist i mean to be fair it's the great british bake-off so there's gonna be some colonial undertones there but But, it's also 2023 and your whole vibe is supposed to be pleasant. Like, let's, you know, let's at least be self-aware that you represent a country that used to be the poster child for colonialism, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, what kind of reality shows do you usually like, Rira? I'm not a reality show person, um, but I I really like Physical 100, even though that like, was a good one. that yeah. I, I'm not into like athletics or... Um, just like bodybuilding or like any anything that requires like a huge amount of muscle. So I was kind of turned off by it until Marvin actually said it had like a very like great British British Bake Off vibe <laughs> where everybody is like very much cheering on each other. And I was like, okay, I'll give it a try. And um, the the contestants are just like so competent and also just, you know, there's a sportsmanship to it that uh, really reminds me of animes. <laughs> so <laughs> I really like that. I also, um, what is it? I forgot the show's name, but there was like a special effects makeup competition show. And um, yeah, like every week the makeup artists, they get these crazy prompts where I, I remember there was like one episode where uh they had to make their own star wars character like they had to fit into the canteen (laughs) scene so i was like oh that's really cool like seeing all the prosthetics and like how the makeup comes together uh that's really cool so i don't really know like what type of reality show person i am because it just kind of like depends on the people who are competing yeah um yeah, yeah, I think the re- I I tried to watch Love Is Blind and I just could not get into it. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been. I I tried watching F Boy Island on HBO Max, and while fun, it just was not pleasant for me. Uh, I tried watching actually the NBC show The Courtship, which is like their attempt at making like The Bachelorette, but in Regency England. Um, using like Regency etiquette themed challenges. And it just, it didn't work because I think they just fundamentally did not understand the assignment. Like it was basically the Bachelorette with Regency vibes, but not really Regency like rules, right? Um, And it just, yeah, I I was really disappointed because um, I have recently in the last few years been, I guess, Regency pilled based because of you know books we've read from this from this book club um and things that i've watched for um some of my other podcasts and just being in the general vicinity of people who love regency era romances and so i was excited to see what they would do with that challenge with with that show and it just it just didn't live up to it and i was very like who am i who to become like this this like snob about doing it correctly right i mean that's the thing. You and I are very much about like the rules <laughs> and how things work in in like a setting. So, which is why like both of us are big fans of fantasy because you know you have like a magic system and you're like really into like how things work. So obviously, when people don't understand the assignment, it's very very frustrating. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and like Top Chef has been a show that has consistently like kept my interest. And 
also in may or may not have been a major contributing um factor to me becoming what other people might consider a foodie because yeah you do go to a lot of places and eat like fancy <laughs> stuff i see it on your instagram all the time and i'm like i would like to visit those places but a lot of them are like uh pretty far away from me so i'm like oh. or not or like the, the wait is too long <laughs> or you know like it's it's too there crowded are. and i just like do not have the patience yeah i mean <laughs> i mean i may or may not have um you know, made reservations at a restaurant six months in advance at one point in my life and planned a whole trip around That's it. That's nuts. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, whatever they're doing there, it's obviously worked on me. And I don't know. I think the fact that I'm still really into the show, like 16 seasons on, is like a testament to just the formula. And I don't know what it is about it. Like the hardest thing for a show is to maintain quality year after year you know a lot of shows don't especially reality shows right like they kind of it's really easy to fall in laurels and just do the same thing over and over again and um i don't know something about top chef just it's been the show the the one show that i have it's probably the longest running show that i've followed because i don't watch Grey's anatomy so um this is this is this is my Grey's anatomy the show that just keeps going and going and going actually now that i think about it i do watch like korean reality shows and like variety shows so uh, but i guess variety shows are a different category from reality shows because you're not like yeah following the same people maybe this is a conversation for because terrace house is terrace house is considered a reality that show, is and terrace right? house also gives korean reality show vibes right because it has the peanut gallery um which like this is probably a, a conversation for another boba talk but I, like what my my mother-in-law watches a lot of korean programming and there is like this formula, right? Which is like, let's do a docu-series about these celebrities going camping, whatever, and have these other comedians comment on it. And that is like, that is a show that's been replicated like all over the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also, you know, like uh, Masked Singer, that was a Korean show <laughs> and then America took it and went wild yeah. with it. So... Um, yeah, Korean Korean variety shows and reality shows, they do come up with some wild premises. <laughs> yeah, well, an, a conversation for another time. I'd love to get like one of the yeah. kimchi news on and just talk about talk about that. I'd love to hear their thoughts about it. And that's another thing that we're planning to do with Boba Chat is, again, like bringing in former guests, um, other authors, book people to talk about, you know, whatever. So uh, moving on, something else that we want to incorporate into this podcast is a Q&A segment where we answer questions from the community, uh, specifically from you, our dear patrons, or people who will become patrons of the Books and Boba Patreon. Since this is our first Boba Chat episode, we don't have any questions from our community. So I prepared some just basic questions um, for us to for us to discuss, um, sort of like a, like an icebreaker for for our for the segments. So um Rira, you ready for some QA? Yeah, let me add it. All right. So this is something that I feel like could have been a regular segment in our podcast, but I don't know if you're like me, a creature of habit, but it would have been just the same answer every week. Um so um <laughs> let's just let's just do it here. Um what is your current go-to bubble joint and order? Yeah, um I don't really have like a regular boba place that I go to. It's usually like 
where whichever one is closest <laughs> to me, depending on where I am. Um, I do like Sunrite. I do like Twinkle. Um, there's like a couple of like smaller boba shops uh, where I live. There's um, Bearology. There's Boba Cha. So there's like a lot of places, but I don't really have like a go to place uh, because my orders are usually super boring <laughs> and doesn't really require a lot of like like extra special ingredients. So I've mentioned this on our show before, but when I get my boba, I don't actually get the boba <laughs> balls in my in my drink. I I go for the tea. So my my usual order is just like black sugar milk tea or um if they have hojicha i'm like yeah okay let's get the hojicha milk tea um so i go for very like basic earthy teas <laughs> and i don't like them overly sweet either and a lot of these boba places like they specialize in like mixed uh mixed drinks that require a lot of like syrups or uh, artificial flavors and i'm like i'm not really about yeah, we're not that, drinking so. for the gram right yeah i mean like all of my drinks are like brown <laughs> or green so they're not very uh pretty but um i do go to um i do go to like k-pop cup sleeve events so i go to a lot of like bts and txt cup sleeves and that requires me to go to uh, random boba shops where you have uh fans who are like selling merchandise that they've made and there's like uh, really cool uh photo booths where you take photos with props sometimes they have cutouts of like the k-pop stars sometimes they have uh themes around them so yeah like i like i said i don't have a regular boba joint I go wherever, uh, whichever one is closest to me, or if there's a cool event that's happening. Yeah. What about you, Martin? Um Yeah. I mean, my current go-to place is Sunrite, um, which is a, and I discovered this recently, an Irvine-based milk tea boba company um, that's been opening stores all over Southern California. Um, they're kind of my go-to place because they have the most locations. Um, I like to get there. Um, I just recently discovered there, um, they have a new, I don't know if it's promotional or if it's just a new item, but aged milk tea, which is using kind of more aged tea leaves, which has a stronger tea flavor. So, okay. So I, for health reasons, I tend to get my milk tea unsweetened. So I, I don't add any sugar to it. Um, so for me these days, milk tea, the tea aspect of it is very important because that's where I get my flavor um, aside from the milk. Uh, and like Rira, I also have stopped um, putting boba balls in my drinks. Uh, I think I stopped doing that in college or right after college. I think at some point and, you know, I understand you're either a boba person or you're a tea person. And for me, I discovered I'm definitely more of a tea person. Like I like to Drink and taste the tea. I enjoy that. The boba balls just kind of get in the way. Um, although they are fun. <laughs> um, but if you want to ask me what my favorite current drink is, it's actually the black sesame milk tea at Soma. Um, and Soma is a tea shop that uh, is originally from Taiwan. They have, I think, two or three locations now in Orange County. Um, this is a place that I discovered randomly while walking the back streets of the shopping district um, in, in Taipei. 
Um, they have a really cool vibe and they have really good tea. Like they specialize in like high mountain oolong teas. And they have a really great black sesame milk tea. And just randomly one day we were, I was driving my, my wife, then girlfriend to get her, um, her eyebrows done in this random plaza in Cerritos. And we noticed the, the Soma um, logo on a building. We're like, that can't be it. And turned out, yeah, they had brought their store over to the States and we were so excited. Um, the only reason we don't go there more often is because we don't live near Cerritos. It's kind of far away. Uh, so it's become like kind of a special, a special occasion drink for us because one of our favorite Shabu places is really close to that Soma shop. So um, yeah, Soma is, um, it's a store that doesn't get as much publicity as say like the Bopo Mofo that's right across the street from them. Um, but personally, I think their tea is a lot better. Um, so um, if... <laughs> <laughs> You're saying that when uh, our friend is the owner of <laughs> Bobo. Um, yeah. How often do you get boba? These days, at least at the, at least once a week. Um, I don't go out as much as I used to um, because I work from home. Um, but when I do go out, I tend to find a reason to stop by a sun. Right? You know, we can put in a mobile order and pick it up really quickly. Um, so at least once a week, on average. Two to three times a week. Yeah, I'm I'm the same too. It's usually once a week, um, but it can increase depending on you know if I'm out far enough and <laughs> there are like really nice boba shops yeah. around me. Um, All right. Yeah. Our next question: What is your earliest boba memory? Like, when do you? When was like? How do you remember when you first became aware of boba milk tea? Uh, kind of. So um, our friend Quincy, he hosts a podcast called Asian Americana, and um, he has a boba episode and I'm in it. So I talk about like my first experience with uh, f- discovering boba. So the first time I've had boba was uh, the shop near my church actually sold bo- boba and we didn't really know what it was. Um, it was run by like a grandma and like her spouse so um i remember like i like a friend got like taro milk tea and i was like okay like let me try and i was like oh it tastes like oreos i like this so um it just became like a regular thing for us because it was walking distance and it was walking distance from church kind of i mean it was a far walk but when you don't have a car when you're like a teen it's like doable uh, and it was like right by um, a high school as well. So it, it became like a very easy place to just, you know, pick up your drinks and just like chill out. So that's my first <laughs> memory. Um, I'm Korean. So like I like hadn't really heard about bubble tea or boba tea or pearl tea. Uh, I didn't really know its origins. I was just like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, I think for me. It was it was before like lolly cups and quickly started opening. So it was probably like 1997, 98. Um, I remember my first experience of it wasn't actually in Taiwan. I used to go to Taiwan every summer to visit family. But the drinks we would get there would usually be the winter melon tea. Um, we didn't really get a lot of milk tea. Um, but I remember my mom ordering it for me at this food court in, I want to say, either Monterey Park or Arcadia in the San Gabriel Valley. 
and being kind of weirded out by the tapioca balls. And then high school, they started opening boba shops all over the city. So Lolly Cup, Quickly, Tapioca Express. And it like triggered memories of like drinking that with my mom. And I was like, okay, like I know what this is. Let's get it. And this was back when like Quickly, there was a Quickly on the way home from school because I used to walk home from school every day that would sell um, regular boba milk tea for 98 cents. And so that's like a dollar, like with tax, that's like a dollar seven. So I would always keep like seven cents in my pocket to, to buy that milk tea um, on the way home. Um, but yeah, it just kind of organically became a part of teen life in the SGV. Like my friends and I would spend hours in like boba shops playing cards. Um, you know, our go-to game was... Um, as many names, um, we called it 13, but I think the more common name is Big Two. Um, I don't know if you ever played this card game. You play with a deck of cards. Um, there's both a Chinese version and a Vietnamese version that have different rules. Um, but yeah, we would play that game and we would order either the popcorn chicken or French fries from these boba shops at like the highest heat level. So like extreme spicy. And we would play cards and whoever loses would have to eat from the super spicy um, food. Wow, that really does sound like a teen pastime. <laughs> yeah, those are those are our, my earliest memories of boba. And, you know, like we said, my, my tastes have changed over the years, veer towards less sweets, I veer towards less boba or no boba. I still do like grass jelly, though, as a topping. It's not as a, it's not as carby. Um, still maybe sweet at some points, but it's also very like easier to drink, I guess, because you don't need to chew. Yeah, I mean, you're you're from the SGV, so obviously you had way more choices growing up than <laughs> me. Um, the boba shop that I talked about, it was like the only one for like a number <laughs> of years. Um, I don't think it was until like maybe college, like when I would like come back home and be for breaks that they opened up more shops. And uh, in the East Coast, there surprisingly, there weren't that many uh, boba shops. There was Again, just like one shop that I would go to regularly while I was in college in Manhattan. And um, when I visited my old campus like a number of years ago, um, I was just so surprised to see so many boba shops open. I was like, whoa, there are some like chains that I <laughs> like. I was just like, there's a Kong Cha here. Yeah. What? <laughs> and I wonder how much of that is just like, again, like the history of Asian America is the history of like migration patterns and like i don't think like i think back in like the 90s early 2000s i don't know how many taiwanese um immigrants were in the east coast um i know like east coast like new york asians are definitely more like hong kong mainlanders yeah um, maybe that has something to do with it because I imagine the influx of like Taiwanese culture probably came in the form of college students from the West Coast coming into like NYU, Columbia, like those schools and like sticking around and bringing, because as always, culture follows culture, right? So if you have more Taiwanese people or people aware of Taiwanese culture um, settling in a certain place, eventually the culture will follow because we all miss, we all miss home, right? Like, Recently in my hometown, there's been a large influx of Korean restaurants. So I'm like, hmm, there must be more Koreans in the area. Because I remember in high school, there were literally like maybe three Koreans in our entire school. Yeah, yeah. And 
same same thing with like Korean restaurants. Like I remember when I was in college, like if I wanted to eat Korean food, I had to go to mm-hmm. K-Town in mm-hmm. New York. Uh, but when I went to visit like not so long ago, <laughs> I was like, wow, there are some like Korean fast food <laughs> places around campus that did not exist before. Uh, Asian food overall, like it was something that you kind of had to like go look for, but now it's just so accessible. And I'm like, you, you kids are so lucky. <laughs> like I had to, like I had to really hunt down for affordable uh, Asian food, and it wasn't even like, like the price point was also like always an issue because you can get like good asian food in new york if you're willing to pay but you can't really get that like home cooked asian food uh quality for like a good price <laughs> yeah. i mean that's just kind of what living in new york is is like right new york's a great restaurant city another reason why the west coast is better than the east coast in my <laughs> opinion as someone who <laughs> as someone who has lived in both coasts for for a long time and uh you know Anywhere is better than the South, I <laughs> I will say, in terms of, like, Asian food. Although, it's been a while since I've been back to Georgia, and there is a great deal more diversity there I mean, now. I know Atlanta has kind of, like, become a big city for, like, Korean, um, not immigrants, Oh, yeah, it's the like fourth France, largest like, city. I know a lot of Korean families from California moving to Atlanta, the, the, the suburbs of Atlanta, because um, their friends have gone there as well. Yeah, it, it's really funny because uh, my family, when we moved to Georgia, it was because of my dad's work. And then, like, we've met, like, a lot of East Coast Korean families that, like, we knew back in the day. And they, like, moved to Georgia, too. So we're like, whoa, all the East Coast <laughs> Koreans are moving to the South because of housing is more affordable and you get more space. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, and like, like we said, culture brings culture. Now you have H marts and Sundubu places all over. Yeah. Now you don't have to explain what Sundubu <laughs> is to your non-Korean friends. They know immediately what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. I mean, again, those those are probably those are topics that we can dive into more in the future Boba Chat episode because there's just so much we can talk about in terms of just Asian American culture because like both Ruby and I. Um, have been around uh, me longer than Rira, um, but you know we've seen our community grow, and we've seen, especially like Korean culture, has like the awareness of like Korean food and culture has like grown exponentially over the last decade. And um, but we'll save that for next time. Um, I think that'll do it for our inaugural books and boba boba chat. Um, if you enjoyed our chat and want to hear more. Um, Going forward, this will be a bonus feature um, available to Honey Boba members, um, our $5 tier of our Patreon. So if you want to hear our next episode, um, please join our Patreon, become a member, and support um, Books and Boba and our future endeavors. But before we go, um, since it is still the month of April, um, we'd be remiss not to remind you what we are reading this month for Book Club. Uh, Rira, can you remind us what our Book Club pick is? Yeah, we are reading Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers by Jesse Q. Sutanto. Yeah, always love a good murder mystery um, and always love a good story about aunties. So excited to chat about this um, with you all at the end of the month. That will be in our regular Books and Boba Fee, so you don't need to 
don't necessarily have to be a Patreon member to listen to that. But we do appreciate you if you join. Um, but with that, um, thank you so much for listening to our inaugural Boba Chat episode. And um, we'll see you next time on Books and Boba. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone.